Thank you. That is Carter, by the way. They forgot to introduce themselves. And that, but that's okay. I actually, I mostly remember it when somebody forgets, like I always forget to introduce myself. I'm Karina. Um, so this morning, we are very excited. We've got Krista Roby here. So if you want to come and clutch the, um, the music stand here, we're just going to reconnect. It has been a while. It has been a long time. So I am, I'm going to actually just stand up here for moral support mostly, but I think it would be great just because it's been a while since you've been in Canada, right? And so if you can tell us where you are when you're not in Canada, kind of a, just a brief snapshot of what you do, and then maybe we'll pass the mic and then we'll, we'll do just a couple minutes so that people can, can reconnect with you. All right. So we'll start with like a introduction. There you go. Good morning. Uh, some know me, some not. Bridge has been my home church for since it became the bridge, actually. Um, but I am in Malawi full time. So it's been three years since I've been back in Canada. Um, so basically, I had been with another ministry in South Africa, Zambia for about five years and just kind of felt the call to step out. <laughs> Um, my background is in massage therapy, so was really looking at rehabilitation, rural areas, people not accessing the healthcare systems, what can we do? Um, and so it's really something that's developed and transitioned over the years um, to where I really felt a conviction of, I'm always a, an influence, I'm always a distraction from the reality of what they can do on their own. So how can I find the needs of the community, understand what's happening, where they can support themselves, where I can maybe create programs and models that can be implemented and done by them as communities in partnership with the hospitals. How's that? That's amazing. Okay, I love that the transition to the model of like equipping the already good work and good capabilities that are there, that's fantastic. So um, in, I read your update letter and in it, you kind of talked about transitioning to equipping more rural areas as opposed to more urban centers. And I'm just curious, like, what has that been like? Have there been unique challenges for you in, in equipping that type of space versus being in a more densely populated area? Um. Yes, challenges. Everything is challenges. Um, what would I say? I think a key for me has been looking at um, educating the community to support the community. There's always this hierarchy of needs, of knowledge, of um, position. And so when you have the community learning for themselves, they know how to support each other within their own context. And so trying to create a program and model that actually fits how they can learn, how they can understand how it adapts to their culture, and they support each other within that versus, well, I'm the doctor, I told you so, or I'm the Mzungu, the white person, this is, you know, I've told you, what can they do within their own? Cool. And can you just say, like, uh, what is the specific, like, is it clinics and what is, yeah. it, is it physiotherapy that's happening there or what? Basically... So in essence, I tried to look at what already exists and what are the gaps. So there's lots of international programs already for disability, um, for kids, 
for acute because there's physio already existing. So basically the two gaps that I identified was preventative. So I've more or less created a program that looks at ergonomics in essence. We have lots of people who help us. How do you sit at your desk? But who's helping them there in how they're chopping wood, how they're farming, the things that are happening. And then the other side is elderly. So you have a young child, you can put them on your back and walk 10 kilometers to the hospital. But if you're 65, your family can't really do that. So how can we do home rehab in the community at their home? Fantastic. Okay. And um, sorry, I keep forgetting for online. I should grab. I, um, hi, Zoom. You matter too. Okay. Um, I, I'm also just curious, how can people find out more about your model, what you're doing, what support looks like for you? You've got something here that, that we'll put at the back table. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? And then we'll bless you to go. Um, so I do have a website. Uh, so Health in Motion is the organization that I developed slash program. So healthinmotionafrica.com is the website. Um, so basically, I'm at a stage now where I've developed programs, I've developed manuals and whatnot. So I'm actually partnering with the university and the government looking at how we can nationalize the program to get it out further and without one person doing it. Um, so I just brought a couple parts of the program or whatnot, if someone was curious to see what it actually looks like or how it's done. I brought a piece of paper in my last minute thinking. So if you want to throw an email and you'd like to get regular updates, you can just leave that. Was that everything? I think that's great. Yeah. Okay. So can I just like, can I, can I just give you a, we'll do the, the side hug prayer because this is it church if this doesn't happen. I, I don't know. So um, God, I thank you for Krista and for the work she's doing and for how you are just um, giving her ideas on how to be a part of empowering um, local communities to live and move and have their being in greater health. And so I thank you for that. And I thank you that she is a part of our community. And, and I pray that her time here at home would be um, refreshing and that she would reconnect with um, people that can just encourage her and uplift her. And we thank you for the work she is doing. And we thank you for the people in Malawi that um, are rising up as leaders and um, creating spaces of rehabilitation and health in their communities. So we pray special blessing for them as well and bless those partnerships. Amen. Because there's two tables, I'll just throw it on that one table. Is that okay? Yeah, great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Krista. Really good to meet you. So I'm Carter. I'll read a little bit, um, a little poem for well, queer call to worship is what it's called. Um, and this is for communion. We have communion tables in the back for a little reflection questions and Krista's um, more information about Krista's thing on the second table over there. Um, you can take communion um, as we do worship. And um, yeah, please eat and drink at any point during our sung worship. Both the singing and the communion are a way to encounter the divine Jesus. Um, so I'll just read this little, little thing. We of many backgrounds and identities, personalities and ideas gather collectively in shared pursuit of, this, of the sacred. Together we make up the body of Christ. Wherever one of us is in pain, our whole body aches. Whenever one of us is cut off, the whole body is wounded. Whoever is kept away by discriminatory policies or practices or prejudices, our collective 
soul suffers the loss of their presence. We need one another in order to be whole. God made make us, God, make us the body of Christ as you envisioned. May we become your presence in flesh, in service to the world and one another. So. I'm just going to pray for Eden. Jesus, I thank you for Eden and for the role and the part she plays in this community. And I thank you for just the good news that she has for us this morning. And I pray that you would just release her into, um, into joy as she shares what she's prepared for us and with us. And thank you for the way that she shows us your love. Thank you that she's a good mirror. Amen. I was, uh, I was looking up at the Zoom folks this morning who join us from afar, and um, I just had this really deep longing to have you here along with us, and so I hope that happens someday soon, because you matter to us, and you're a part of this community, and I just imagined how lovely it would be to have your uh, presence in and amongst us uh, in a chair. And I don't know whether um, you could hear via the, um, the sound system this morning how you could hear the, all the voices singing, um, but that is something, even though I'm not a good singer, I like hearing other people singing around me to drown me out. And um, oh my goodness, it was so lovely. And do you ever drive down the road and you, you've got the radio on and a song comes on and instantly like you're back in high school or you know, you're somewhere significant in your life and you're just like, oh man, I'm 16 years old and I should not have my license right now. But this is awesome. I'm driving down the road and this is the best in the world. I was having a similar encounter with the songs being sung this morning. I was, some of them take me back to places. And, and I was feeling this, oh, this is where I was when I first sang this song. And this is the significance of it in my life. Or this is, um, this is where I've come to from that song. And so um, that, that is not on my notes at all, but I, it was lovely um, to encounter that this morning. And then um, I know Karina used my name, but I'm trying to also practice um, telling people who I am. So my name is Eden and I go here to the bridge, but I also have the most wonderful privilege of helping lead this church. I'm one of the pastors and um, I feel really privileged to have this privilege. Well, two privileges and one. So I'm, I'm, I'm emphatic about this. So um, this morning's passage is Matthew 15, 29 to 39. And as I was reading it, I thought it's kind of interesting how some of us have grown up in the church 
um, and we have a mental library of the stories of Jesus. But the chronological order of those stories seems to bear little in our thoughts. Or am I the only one? Could be. Maybe you guys all know exactly how these line up. For instance, I know that Mary finds out that she's going to have Jesus before she's born, before he's born. And then that the birth story comes along and then Jesus turns 12 and then a bunch of miracles and encounters happen that since many of them are repeated by four different authors, leaves our mental library in a bit of a disarray. So this morning, I'm going to work on the context of our passage a little more than we might usually, because there are so very, there are some very important truths we can glean by where Matthew places this episode in the scheme of the gospel. I'll read the passage from our lectionary. After Jesus had left Tyre and Sidon, he went by the Sea of Galilee and went up to the mountain, sitting down there. Crowds came to him, bringing with them disabled, blind, and mute people, people missing body parts along with many others. And then they put them at his feet. And he healed them so that the crowd was amazed when they saw mute people speaking. People missing body parts made whole. Disabled people walking and blind people seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd because they have stayed with me for three days now and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry for they might collapse on the road. The disciples said to him, where are we to get some bread in the desert as to feed so great a crowd? Jesus asked them, how many loaves do we have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. Then ordering the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish and giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds and all of them ate and were filled and they took up the abundance of fragments, seven baskets full. Those who ate were women and children besides 4,000 men. Then sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So why a second mass multiplication feeding story? This is not just another version of the feeding of the five uh, 5,000 story, but by someone who underestimated the numbers. These mass feedings are two distinct events in the timeline of Jesus placed in back-to-back chapters. And I want to show you some of those distinctions and tell you why they're significant for humankind in general and each of us individually. 
So let's just do a little straight up comparing of the two multiplication miracles in the gospels. The first feeding happened in Jewish territory and Jesus arrives to a mass of people who he begins to heal. John the Baptist has been preaching in these regions, fulfilling his role as the forerunner. He has been pointing to Jesus, the Messiah's arrival. In this story, there are 5,000 men plus women and children that need to be fed. Jesus takes a young boy's lunch, blesses it, and sends his disciples to distribute the food. And when all are fed, they collect the food that is left, and they have 12 baskets full. This feeding is the gospel to the Jews. The 12 baskets are symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. The second multiplication miracle happens by the Sea of Galilee in the uh, Decapolis and Gadarene region, according to Mark. This would not be an exclusively Jewish crowd, but more likely a mixed and varied crowd, including Gentile cultures and beliefs. Jesus comes ashore off the lake and finds a place to sit down as if he's going to teach, and people start showing up. People are coming from all over the place, but this story doesn't actually include anything that Jesus taught, and he was there for three whole days. Instead, Matthew tells us that they just kept bringing forward more and more people who needed healing, and they were getting healed three days in. Jesus starts to feel sorry for the people, concerned that they might be getting hungry, hangry as well, and worried that if they left without being fed, that they might be too weak to make it home. So Jesus asks the disciples what they have to share, and they come up with a woefully inadequate pantry. But again, and it does kind of cross my mind that just prior to this, they fed 5,000, and the disciples were still asking, well, how are we going to do that? So I'm a little curious. Like, sometimes I wonder if they're just a little dull or something. I don't know. They did turn out okay in the end, I guess. Um, anyways, but again, Jesus blesses what is there and asks the disciples to distribute the food. When all is said and done, there are seven baskets of leftovers. In scripture, the number seven means complete. And in this story, the gospel, the good news, is given to the Gentiles, any, anyone outside of the Jewish faith. In other words, the gospel was now for the whole world. So why did Jesus go there? Sandwiched between the two multiplication miracles, we have the story of the Canaanite woman, also a Gentile, who runs to Jesus to beg to heal her daughter. When Jesus initially rebuffs her, she pushes back and her retort is what brings Jesus to understand that his mission is more than to the Jews. 
And that is that this woman has initiated the timing for Jesus to expand the gospel to the Gentiles. So with this new understanding of the expanding of his calling and the extent of the gospel, Jesus moves further into Gentile territory. This is not Jesus's first attempt to come to the area. The first time was sometime prior. It's recorded in Luke 8. And when he healed a demon-possessed man and had the legion of demons that had just he had just cast out move into a herd of pigs. And then they ran off the cliff. Having upset the locals by this maneuver, Jesus was asked to leave immediately. This is the same region. So now he's back. And it turns out that this same formerly possessed man that had been delivered had begged to go with Jesus when he left that first time. But Jesus asked him to stay, to go home and to tell everyone about what had happened and the great things God had done. Luke 8 says that this man went throughout the city and told everyone about what Jesus had done. So now, in essence, this man, who has been liberated from a whole lot of demons, has become a forerunner for Jesus to the Gentiles, just as John the Baptist had been to the Jews. So this isn't a cold call for Jesus. This man who was so possessed that he was chained both hands and feet among the tombs, who didn't wear clothes for years and was kept under guard, was so transformed that he had been spreading the good news of Jesus ever since his encounter with him. The people in this region knew about Jesus, and they, could, and they had some living proof of the power that Jesus possessed. And that is why Jesus went there. There's a big takeaway for us today. Jesus healed the masses in both of these stories. He healed the Jews, and in the same way, he healed the Gentiles. The gospel is far more expansive than we have given it credit for. And that in and of itself is really good news. Jesus in these stories shows us that he was not in the business of converting people, especially not in the sense that we know the word today, but rather the encounters he had within the stories we read in the Bible demonstrate that Jesus was about restoration. In neither of these multiplication miracle stories do we hear what Jesus was teaching, if he was at all. It just says that they kept bringing people to him and he was healing them. There was no transaction of my beliefs for yours. 
We aren't hearing of people having to renounce their former beliefs. They are simply being healed and consequently restored. I'm going to share a bit of a dialogue between my husband, Brad, and his godfather, David Goa, from earlier this week. If you've ever wondered if there was a fly on the wall, I am she. I wish there was a way to retrieve a word like convert and what it once meant. But today, we're better off contrasting conversion as we've come to understand it with a word like restoration. I was thinking about this when Krista was talking. And what I was hearing her talk about was restoration. And I thought, yeah, I can totally get into that. When Christ met the woman at the well, the Canaanite woman, and the woman caught in adultery, he did not try to convert them in the crass sense, though the encounter did transform them. Rather, those encounters were about restoration. Christ restores us to the deep meaning of the faith, which is the presence of grace, being present to grace and as grace in all our encounters. The existential gravity in those encounters of presence helped them to know the part of their own hearts that they didn't yet know or no longer knew. All such gospel encounters are stories of restoration. They teach us that we don't convert anyone. The Holy Spirit does that. So yes, go into the world and preach the gospel. Preach Jesus's gospel. His gospel was not about learning a secret name invoked through the right prayer formula to bring you into an exclusive remnant. That's not just mistaken. It's probably blasphemy. Rather, Jesus' gospel is what you have always heard. John 3.16, that God loves the world, that Christ came to be that love and tell them of that love, and that Jesus calls us to be that love and share that love, to be those who follow him in the ministry of restoration. He came for those like us, captive to a dark vision, seeing the world through death and the fear of death, experiencing life through the prism of alienation. We're not wrestling people into something. Rather, where God and they provide opportunity, we too can be the presence of love and grace. This then is our conversion in the real sense that we would be increasingly inclined and disposed disposed to the mystery of God's love revealed in Jesus and let go of the impulse to presume or pretend. That 
given the opportunity, God's grace is enlarged as we share both giving and receiving healing words of wisdom, comfort, and compassion. Converting others in the religious recruitment sense is just the opposite. It can become a way of not regarding them, not restoring them, of reinforcing and deepening their alienation. The grave danger is once again in presuming, one, they need something I have. Two, they don't have it. Three, it's my job to convince them that they don't have it. And four, so I can sell it to them. Now, we can spin this as, I see their thirst and just want to share the living water, the grace I've been given. But what if instead we're acting the part of the serpent in the garden within that relationship? That involves serious deception of myself and of them. How much better if I'm attentive, present to the presence of the kingdom and its unfolding in me, in them, in us, and awake to the presence of God's grace. So what would this look like in our culture? It might mean using actions to come alongside someone and not get caught up with lots of words and ways that shoehorn them into our idea of faith. It might mean being more open to encounters that lead to restoration, both ours and others, by just being present to another's pain and heartache. It might mean you become very sensitive to forms of alienation that keep some on the outside and others safely tucked inside. It may mean that you need to dismantle some of the constructs you have created to dehumanize others. You may find yourself needing to expand your understanding of what is good, true, and beautiful in order to see more, it more often in others. What if we just sat down like Jesus and let people come our way? We would listen to ailments and look into their eyes and extend whatever's within our reach to those who are hungry. How about we keep opening our arms for yet another hug? What if we offered time to listen instead of offer it? offering unsolicited answers. Are there ways that you recognize that you have moved that have alienated instead of including folks around you? What if the path that Jesus was on didn't end with his time on earth, but rather is a trajectory for all of us to follow, where we keep seeing just how expansive God's grace is to this world and just how much he loves the whole world and how deeply he wants to bring restoration to us all. 
I'm not a very big fan of what if questions. But what if we just kept seeing more and more of God's grace and love and mercy and forgiveness in this world? And what if we were part of how God demonstrated that? What if? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for really being human, for taking on skin and fully understanding the challenges we face as humans on this earth. Help us to see just how expansive your love and grace are and show us the ways you have for us to demonstrate that. Amen.